Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. And today, uh, both of us are a little under the weather. You know, it's that it's that time of year, especially here in Texas. The weather is like a fucking schizophrenic freak. You know, like doesn't know it's cold for like two hours, and then the next two hours it's eighty degrees. You know, like you just have no rhyme or reason to anything that's happening. Uh, but we're, we're we're both here. We're going to talk about Tootsie, nineteen eighty two. Uh, hits its 40th anniversary this year nominated 10 times at the 55th academy awards uh not that long ago you uh caleb and myself we talked about this this year with poltergeist uh that was like seven episodes ago or something so uh wasn't that long ago but we do uh have a lack of 80s movies that we've covered on this on this podcast so i wanted to kind of shine a spotlight on the ones that we have uh, covered because I know this is your favorite decade. True for genre films, but for the Oscars, it's a weak fucking decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll admit that. So it is cool. When I get to, you know we get to kind of cross you know genre films and Oscar films with this podcast. But you know, in terms of the the dramatic fare of the eighties, we've seen better in every other decade. I think I don't know what happened there. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating to look back at because it's not a lack of it's it's specifically the best picture winners, right? It's like clearly the weakest decade for winners. Uh, while you do have uh, like an Amadeus, which is like one of my favorite winners of all time, you have stuff around it that just like doesn't 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 age very well. Whereas some of the best picture nominees, you know, like a, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark, there are those gems throughout that like were very popular, did really well at the box office. And also got Oscar nominations, but it's few and far between. Uh, we've we've discovered some cool movies th- through this show uh, from the eighties. Like uh, we both watched Atlantic, Atlantic City for the first time uh, uh, when we did uh, episode forty, Chariots of Fire. We did a Best Picture Showdown. We both were like, "Oh, this movie kicks ass!" You know, Burt Lancaster is the man, certified legend. Uh, what was that? Uh, when we did Back to the Future, we did all the screenplay nominees. Wasn't there like a Argentinian film we both connected to? Yeah, the official the official story. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I like that one a lot. It's obviously been a long time since we've seen it. That was episode twenty, you know, so about a hundred episodes ago. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, we've had we've had here and there. Uh, Nineteen eighty six, Platoon, not that long ago. Uh, Children of a Lesser God, we both really liked that one. Um, and you, that's that's kind of like why we do it is you you get to kind of not just talk about the the base movie for the episode, but you get to kind of talk about other things from the year. So it's going to be cool to kind of highlight the 11 movies that we've covered on this show. Uh, and that's counting Tootsie. So uh, I'll, I'll run through them real quick. And then uh, you and I are going to rank them together uh, 11 to one. And we'll just kind of go, you know, uh, just kind of eliminate them as, as, as we go. It's going to get very hard towards the top. Yeah. We, we've done we've done some huge amazing movies from this decade but we don't go to it a lot because we're both kind of like ah if we go there you know it's we know it's gonna be a big big huge conversation so uh episode nine that was the first time we went to the 80s we covered dead poet society 1989 uh and that was not the last time that we went to that year but of course that movie is amazing and touches both of us on a on a, like an intellectual level an inspirational level. And we had a blast doing that. That was one of the early episodes where we had no idea what we were doing. And, uh, still, still, I still remember it because we were just both gushing about it. Uh, episode 20, 
Back to the Future. <laughs> this is uh, Connor's favorite movie of all time, and it felt right to finally do it on episode 20. Uh, and we plan on doing Back to the Future 2 uh, in the future, in the near future. And I, I'm really excited for that. Uh, Die Hard, we did episode 29. That was kind of our Christmas episode that year for Oscar Sunday. Uh, we had a blast with that, right? Uh, 1988, just fantastic movie. Uh, episode 34, we did Places in the Heart, 1984. Uh, this is shortly after we did uh, 1979 Best Picture Showdown, which uh, saw Kramer vs. Kramer win. And Norma Ray was in that category. And we both were like, we need to see this other Sally Field movie where she won the Oscar. And we both watched Place in the Heart. Decent flick. Uh, episode 40. Best Picture Showdown, Chariots of Fire, 1981. Not the best. <laughs> not the best. And then we have a 43-episode hiatus of not going to the 80s at all. I don't know if that was intentional or what Like what happened. But from episode 40 all the way to episode 83, uh, episode 83 was When Harry Met Sally, which was at the beginning of this year. Uh, we did that for kind of a New Year's Eve, you know, early January type thing because... There's obviously some some key moments that are uh, at a New Year's party in that movie, and uh, that movie's fantastic. Another 1989 one. Episode 91. We go back to 1989 for a third time. Do the right thing. Mm. Spike Lee's masterpiece. Uh, quite possibly one of the like five most important movies we've ever covered on this show. Uh, episode 110. We did our second Best Picture Showdown in the 80s, and that was Platoon 1986. That was a lot of fun. Uh, not that long ago, and you saw Platoon for the first time. It was kind of, it became this running joke of like, when is Connor going to see Platoon? And finally we watched it, we both watched it, and you know, we had a blast doing that one. Uh, episode 113. You, uh, myself, and Caleb talked about uh, Roger Rabbit, who framed Roger Rabbit, 1988, and uh, of course did a whole Zemeckis draft, and we had a blast. That was really cool. Episode 119, Caleb came back again for Poltergeist, uh, 1982. And here we are, episode 127, talking about Tootsie, 1982 again. Uh, this is going to be really tough. Because <laughs> I, think, I, I think there's a clear divide between some monumental movies here. And then there's some ones that, that go to the back. So let's start with the back. I'll let you kind of talk your way through which, which movie should be in the 11th spot. I think it's very clear to both of us that it's Chariots of Fire. Without a doubt. Yeah. That is a weak movie that should never have even entered the best picture category, let alone defeat films like Atlantic City and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Even Reds, I liked more. The three and a half yeah. hour Warren Beatty communist drama, I liked more than Chariots of Fire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same here. There's no really, I don't, I don't even know, like it's not, it's just not worth people's time these days. 40 years later, it just, uh, just is not very impressive. The only thing that people remember it for is that score. And like, cool. If that's all your movies remembered for, I just don't really, don't really give a shit. So yeah, it's very obvious that that's the worst quote unquote worst movie that we've covered in the eighties on this show. So chariots of fire takes the 11th spot. What, after that, what do you got? I think then it goes to places in the heart. Yeah, yeah. I didn't hate it, but it's pretty like the more you think about it, the more you the more problems you have with it. Yeah. 
it's it feels like a white savior movie. It doesn't really go far enough to cover the themes it wants to cover. Sally Field's great, but she was way better in Norma Ray. Yeah. And yeah, it's just it's a film I don't ever see myself going back to. Yeah, that's the main thing. I, I enjoyed Sally Field. John Malkovich was awesome. Uh, but I yeah, I, I just I don't know why I would ever be like, yeah, let's let's throw on places in the heart, you know, for fun. You know, I just don't think I don't think I'll ever do that. So it's not a bad movie, but it's not great either. So uh yeah, I think that I think that's perfect for that one. Now yeah. I think now I think it gets tough. Um yeah. for for me personally, next up would be Tootsie. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Okay. Yeah, next up is okay. Tootsie. Um we're gonna talk about it at length, but I did I did like it, but I totally get why people have problems with this movie. Um it's been labeled transphobic, it's been labeled somewhat hateful. I get it. To me, it's a movie about a guy just trying to get work. It's not about a man discovering like who he really is. That's not what the movie's about. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely gets confusing in between the lines. I, I totally hear people bashing this movie. I totally get it. Uh, I, I, I thought it was fine. I, I really like Dustin Hoffman, so I'll watch him any day of the week. I think it's directed really well. I think S- Sydney was on top of his game. Um got some cool stuff in the screenplay you know there are some like good moments of back and forth dialogue and uh, i really enjoyed like the costume design and the production design but uh o- overall it's just not something i'm again i'm not gonna be chomping at the bit to go back to yeah fair enough i'm with you on that i like I-, I felt that way a lot um about a lot of sydney pollock movies i've watched like it was decent but it's kind of one and done yeah yeah i totally totally hear that um but you know, we've we've knocked out. I think the movies that we agree on here. Yeah. <laughs> After that, I I really I really don't know where to go next. This is like I mean, it's from here on out, it's going to be really really difficult to set aside personal bias. Like some of my favorite yeah. films of all time are right here, and I know some of your favorite films of all time are there too. So yeah, this is going to be um, hard. <laughs> I, I'm I'm willing to obviously you know uh, be the team player here, but. Uh, this like this eighth spot. It, I don't want to disrespect a movie, but I also don't want. I, I don't know. Like like, should Winter Hair Met Sally go here? Mm. No, it's such a great story. I was. I love when Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I was leaning towards Platoon. I I hear that Platoon's definitely. I had it. I have it. You know, six, seven, or eight for me. So I I understand that. Yeah. All right, let's give it to when Harry met Sally. And then Platoon 7. Yeah. God. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just, just we, we've done some some heavy hitters here, you know, and with the 80s, it's like you have to choose these heavy hitters because it's like, I don't want to do fucking Driving Miss Daisy, so. Yeah, we don't want a stale episode. We got to, you know, the 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 excitement comes from the film itself. And if you've got something that we both just don't give a shit about, it's going to be hard to make an energetic episode about that. And there's a lot of that in the eighties. Correct. Yes, that, that is right. Um, okay. Shit. <laughs> I, I really, I have no idea what to do here. Um, where does, what does your gut tell you? Fuck. Um, These six movies fucking rule. There are, <laughs> There are three tens and two nines on the board for me here. This is going to be very hard. There um, are 
but yeah, yeah. Um, I've got two tens, and the rest are nines. I think. Uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I don't know. I mean, right. I know what number I know what number one should be, and it's your favorite movie. Um, so we can go that way if you want. We can go now, go to the front, and work our way that way because I do think Back to the Future is. Uh, f- from a pop culture standpoint, from a technique standpoint, and from an entertainment standpoint, probably the best movie of the eighties. Yeah, it's it's the quintessential eighties movie. You know, when you think of eighties yeah. movies, everybody immediately thinks of Back to the Future. It's the aesthetic, it's the excitement, it's the rewatchability, it's it's everything. It's the nexus. Yeah. So if that's one, then that can kind of let you breathe a little bit, right? <laughs> I thought we were going to have to have like a fucking street fight over Back to the Future and do the right thing. That's what I thought this was going. I mean, that's my favorite of the group. Do the right thing and Dead Poets Society are my two like personal favorites of this group. But I but I'm here I'm here for the Back to the Future um, you know being being like the number 1 spot, being like the best picture winner. Yeah. Okay. All right, with that in mind. Um <laughs> I think we follow Platoon with Die Hard. Okay, I can do that. Yeah. Love Die Hard. Oh, it's amazing. It's one of the greatest action films of all time. Uh, And yeah, I hate having to put it in the back half here, but it's everything else is just way more like important, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, after die, all right. <laughs> I guess we, I guess Poltergeist. Yeah, yeah, this seems right. Um, yeah, number five. I mean, yeah, Poltergeist and Die Hard. I could kind of like they interchange. I, I love them both. Yeah, me too. Some of the best output of the eighties. Um, tell you one thing. I'm glad we haven't done Indiana Jones yet because I don't know how the hell that's going to fit into this. Yeah, yeah. Like Raiders is is one of those movies that's like, oh, well, I'm number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so I'm leaning towards do the right thing for the next one, but I know you want that higher, <laughs> so I'm willing to compromise. Uh, man, this is tough. Yeah. Um uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't I understand because yeah, I mean, Dead Poets is you know is the shit. Peter Weir just classic, and Roger Rabbit's like one of the most inventive movies of all time. So I get that. My my argument would be that do the right thing is just like on a on a uh, what's the word? I guess just what what it's conveying is like wow, and it's just timeless. Like it's sad that it's timeless, but it is. It's just a. It's just as applicable today as it was in 1989. That's like the the sheer power of it. But I, but yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to sit here and be like it's way better than Dead Poet Society because I truly don't believe that. I love Dead Poet Society and I love Roger Rabbit, so I'm okay with that. I'm. This is this is more your jam, man. You know the 80s are 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 dear, near and dear to your heart. So I'm not. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. <laughs> All right, all right. Then do the right thing is uh, number four. All right, so now you have a decision to make. <laughs> as much as I want to do it, I don't think it's fair having the top two both be from Robert Zemeckis. 
I so just, so Roger Rabbit three, Dead Poets two. Yeah, that's what I that's what I'm doing. Okay. I can I can roll with that. <laughs> okay, this is a good list. Yes, yes it is. So okay, so to run through it, Back to the Future is number one. Yeah. Dead Poet Society is number two. Roger Rabbit, number three. Do the right thing four. Poltergeist and Die Hard, kind of a tie for five and six, give or take. Platoon seven. That's <laughs> so crazy. Uh when Harry Met Sally eight. Like <laughs> like the quintessential rom com is like, I mean, it's just it's going up against better stuff. Uh Tootsie number nine. Uh, Places in the Heart, number 10, and Chariots of Fire, number 11. Yeah, yeah, this is a great list. It's like, it's good... for me, it's like when Mayweather fought McGregor. It's like, they're both incredible athletes in their field. But together, it's not the same kind of matchup, you know? Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I Yeah, comparing it when Harry met Sally to do the right thing is like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'm here for that. Yeah, I think I think are are there eighties movies that could like obviously Rage of the Lost Ark. For me, like Raging Bull, Amadeus. Like are there movies that would be like, hey, whoa well, now. Like I'm I'm a top five. Hmm. I'd have to think about that. Um obviously, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is like the big one that we haven't touched yet that is easily like it's the only one that could swipe number one away from Back to the Future. Uh, okay. And that's coming from me. So goddamn. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that that that's that's big time stuff there. Uh, I think when we inevitably do Atlantic City, that that'll be in, in the that, that'll sneaks into the into the like better stuff, I think. Um per, per, personally, Atlantic City would be like towards the top. Yeah. But but like the same thing, it's like hard to compare it to a Back to the Future or Indiana Jones. It's like, I mean. Come on, just the sheer scale of those movies. I think uh, The Verdict. Oh, talk about 1982. That might be the best movie from that year. Yeah. Um, I know some people might, out there might be thinking E.T., but I've, I don't really have this like crazy loyalty to E.T. I think it's a good movie, but I don't think it's like greatest of all time good. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I I like it. It's up for best picture, same year as Tootsie. Yeah, it's just not like my thing necessarily. I I enjoy it. It's it's entertaining, but I'm not like I don't know. It, it, compared to Poltergeist or or uh, Back to the Future, or like I just haven't watched it nearly as much in my adult life. Yeah. Uh, as as these you know. Some of these movies are are things I watch once a year, you know. And with ET, it's like, yeah, I mean, I'll I'll check it out if like I have to, but I'm not. <laughs> and that's not to say it's a bad movie, but I I am not going for it, you know, on on a Tuesday night. I'm not like, oh yeah, this is a good way to spend my two hours. No. There's just a lot of there's a lot of other '80s stuff that I, I'd rather get to. Yeah, I'm with you, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of undiscovered stuff that I'm looking forward to. Correct. Something that might end up in the top five, which would be awesome. I love when I find a, a new film that I'd never watched that ends up becoming one of my favorite movies. That's that's the best thing. Um, I'm I, I guess my favorite movie that we've discovered from the '80s through this show is probably Atlantic City. Um, 
I'm trying to think. I I really liked Children of a Lesser God, man. That was a cool movie, you know. Um, like it, it's it's a it's one of those historical movies, you know, with the deaf representation and a a deaf, you know, an actual deaf actress like dominating the movie. So I I really liked that one. Um, trying to think what else I've watched for the first time through this. The, the official story was really cool. I did like, um, fuck, of course, it's from that same year. It's escaping me. Um, fucking Woody Allen. Um, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, I liked that one too. Surprisingly, I was like, that was actually kind of, kind of, kind of neat, kind of clever. That same year, uh, watching all the screenplay nominations that year, it gave me a whole new appreciation for Brazil. Oh, Oh yeah, Brazil. That movie kicks ass. I almost watched that the other night because it's it's like on some Criterion collection. I was just scrolling through the app and I was like, this it's one of those movies that just makes me stop in my tracks. Yeah, fucking Monty Python's 1984. It's it's, it's great. Um yeah. and also it um I really enjoyed Witness as well from that year. Uh, that was a fun episode. It was yeah, not just you know getting to talk about back to the future, but also getting to experience these new films that you know competed against it i don't think witness should have won but it was good yeah I, i'm with you on there i, I take back to the future uh, <laughs> on, on that one uh but yeah i remember that was the that was like when we were toying a lot with like what the show could be um shortly before that we had implemented the awards that we give out the four awards we like to give out for for writing music performance and best scene and um we did it i think the way it's titled like on spotify and, and, and apple is uh best original screenplay showdown i think that's yeah. like what it's titled as uh so it's back to the future and we were like hey let's like do something different than a best picture showdown let's do a fucking you know screenplay against each other so that, that was really unique i would love to do that again with other categories like just do a showdown of like best visual effects or best film editing or something like that. That would be so much fun. Yeah, we definitely should do that. Um, I think I, you, you realize with, with the stuff that we both like, like our, our, our mutual interest, you know, and when I'm making the schedule, I'm like, God, there's so many movies I want to talk about. You know, <laughs> there's so many, there's so many discussions I want to have like next week, what we're doing is like, Oh my God, you know, it's going to be this, massive massive project and i can't fucking wait to do it uh, and i'll talk about it later in the episode but jesus you know there's there's those little projects that you want to accomplish and there's also all these categories that like, like you said we could do these little kind of showdowns whether it be a quote-unquote smaller technical category which we both really like or we can do the you know the this original screenplay showdown what was cool about that was or what's great about the two screenplay categories is you always have stuff that's not up for best picture. So you have like a, a, a you have a lot of variety. Yeah. So like that year we were like, Oh my God, there's, we're, we're watching four movies like we haven't seen before along with back to the future. So it was like a really cool experience. And I would, I would love to like find a year where it's like that again, like find a, find a best director or a best original screenplay or best supporting actor where it's movies that you and I want to see, but haven't quite got around to. Yeah, that's the beauty. And the way I see it is, you know, 
there's no end date for this thing. Like whatever we don't get to now, we can get to four, five months from now. Exactly. Yeah. There is no end date. There's no expiration date. Uh, we're, we're just rolling. As far as I'm concerned, we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just did, I meant to say this when we did Parasite, that was our 19th best picture showdown. It's like, well, we got 70 more of those bastards to go. So, and, and then, by the time by the time we catch up, there's another new ceremony, and a new ceremony, and a new ceremony. So it's never going to end. It's never going to stop, and that's part of the fun. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to our ne- our next one is is going to be some fucking heavy hitters. I'm looking at them right now. It's like fuck. I don't know how I'm going to rank that. Uh, the next best picture showdown. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. A <laughs> little bit of an anniversary year. Uh, the winner from that year we've like never really talked about. So I'm. Um, that's true. Super stoked. But we both have some favorites from that year, including a <laughs> pretty big uh, franchise movie <laughs> that we both that we both like. So yeah, that's gonna be a lot of fun. That's in a couple that's like in a couple weeks or three weeks, I think. Um yeah, the stuff we have the next week and the week after is like way up your alley and way up my alley. And it's like let's just let's just have some fun. Uh so yeah, I can't wait. Uh all right, so Tootsie being in ninth place on our eighties rankings here, we do have to give awards to it. You know, we have to, we have to, we have to talk about it a little bit. I don't know if you want to um, go into the, like the political stuff that's like going on in this movie. I don't really, I don't really care to, cause I don't think I have that. Like, I don't have that knowledge. I, I follow one um, uh, trans woman on Letterboxd to, I mean, eviscerated this movie. And I was like, I, I read it and I was like, I missed all of that. Like I didn't, that none of that clicked with me while I was watching it because I'm just a white straight male who like half the time doesn't know what the fuck's going on. And when I was reading, when I was reading this, I was like, wow, people watch movies so much differently. You know, like everybody has their, uh, the cap that they put on when they watch movies. Mm-hmm. And for most people, for most people, it's vastly different. Yeah, ex- extremely. I mean, we see that on a much lesser scale whenever we cover like a Fellini movie or something. He's like, you'll yeah. see it and see this like like artistic masterpiece and I'll watch and I'll be like, the fuck is going on right now? <laughs> so I yeah, just to have that kind of reaction on a like personal level where you watch a movie that is literally like the opposite of who you are as a human being. And it is like you feel it's literally like insulting and attacking you i've i can honestly say i have not felt that i felt close to that but i've never felt like a personal like attack by a movie so i don't really think we have a lot to say in that arena when it comes correct yeah that's yeah exactly my point um just it's like not for us to say necessarily do i do i want to completely avoid it no because like i want to be an ally to people that that deserve it and transgender people deserve it and so when something like this happens and a lot of the argument is always for for someone from our perspective is always like well it's 40 years ago like give them a break that's just not fair like that's just not fair because there are people going through the same thing 40 years ago yeah with with you know their identity and who they are and to to kind of strip that away from them is like i even I can see that that's, that's fucked up. That's wrong. You can't do that. Also in the eighties, 
some of the greatest feminist, you know, filmmakers were working at that time. So like, there's no excuse for that. The way I see it is like, if you're going to condemn, you know, blackface movies from the forties, then you also have to condemn transphobic movies from the eighties. Like, yep. Hatred is hatred. Yep. So that's, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So yeah, it's not a, that's kind of, I was texting you about Tootsie. I was just like, like, I just don't really know. Like I, it's hard for me to wrap my head around this one. What I do know about it is, you know, directed by Sidney Pollack. It's got Dustin Hoffman batting a thousand. It's got got a really weird soundtrack that I didn't quite connect with. Very, very early 80s in like the not good way. And um and 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 it was it was well made. You know, it's not a it's not like a shite film. You know, it got 10 Oscar nominations for kind of a reason, you know. So I do respect some of the things that are going on with this movie. And I'm glad I got to knock out another Dustin Hoffman performance. Yeah, that's the way I see it. You know, Tootsie's one of those, you know, love it or hate it. It's an iconic 80s film. It's in the Criterion Collection. It's in all the 1001 movies you must see before you die lists. And now I've seen it. So, you know, closer to death. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, those those lists like almost piss me off because it's like, who are you to say (laughs) that I have to see these before I die? Like that's I'm literally that's literally counting down the, you know the, the clock uh, but but I also read them and I think they're fascinating so you know I'm uh, a paradox over here but uh, all right so Tootsie we're, we're gonna give out awards to it um, I I did have some trouble with a couple of these like the the Tarantino thought there were some really good lines in this movie um, some great bits of dialogue so that's gonna be a tough one the Neil Morricone award I struggled with big time. I just, I, I, I just didn't know what to do. You know, the movie ended. I was like, "Fuck, I don't have." <laughs> the movie ended, and I was like, "I don't have a music moment that really connected with me." Uh, the best performance in the movie, Philip Seymour Hoffman. That was easier for me, and then the Roger Deakins Award was also easier for me uh, for the best scene of the movie. So I'll let you start with your Tarantino whenever you're ready. As I was watching this film, I was more surprised than anything that like how much of this I have already seen in family guy. Like this movie <laughs> is referenced in family guy, like more than fucking star Wars. It's weird. So yeah. Yeah. I noticed that too. What is that about? I, I maybe Seth MacFarlane loves this movie. I don't know, but or hates I, it. Yeah. Or hates it. Yeah. I just kept <laughs> seeing little moments. Like I've seen that before and I've seen that before. What, what the hell is that? <laughs> um, yeah. My Tarantino goes to a bit of um, an exchange between Michael and Jeff after uh, Michael's packing for his like weekend with Julie and Jeff's like, I just think you're going to go to hell for this. And Michael says, I don't believe in hell. I believe in unemployment, but not hell. I love that. And that's uh, Dustin Hoffman and Bill Murray (laughs) talking, talking to one another. 1982 Hoffman and Murray, like (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) I loved in the trivia, I was reading some of the trivia and Bill Murray um, offered to take his name off the opening credits so that people wouldn't immediately think like, oh, it's a Bill Murray movie. Let's strap in for this. It's going to be like Caddyshack. So nobody would get that idea. But then as soon as I saw Bill Murray, I was like, oh, this is going to be funny. (laughs) So it didn't work out. Fantastic. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually didn't know Bill Murray was in this. Until I saw him, you know, so, so I'm in the same boat as you, just kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> I didn't, I had a moment of like, is that, no way, is that? And then he kept talking, yeah. like, that's Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely Bill uh, doing his thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, he's just like I, I don't know. He's at this point, he's he's like a walking meme, Bill Murray. So like, anytime he pops up, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, like that guy. You know, I, I I love a lot of his work, but you know, these days, you know, he's not doesn't have the greatest, uh, you know, personal stuff. You know, uh, people are slowly realizing that Bill Murray might actually be kind of a prick. So. Yeah, shocking. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, in Tootsie, he's just, you know, the wannabe playwright roommate who's just like, I can't believe you're doing this. Yeah, yeah. It, and those scenes are necessary, right? You're, there's someone who's like like minded at the beginning of the movie who's with him like, what What are you doing? <laughs> like, are you sure? Like, this is this is dangerous. You know, like, like you're kind of kind of making a, a wild decision here. So I think we do need that from like a like minded uh, character. Um Man, the, yeah, the Tarantino, you know, there's there's some stuff I, I really, really liked. Um, in particular, towards the beginning of the movie, like the first 10 minutes, I was like, fuck, this is going to be good. <laughs> like, I, I, I really, really connected with the kind of wild uh, direction and the, the auditions and Justin Hoffman just going for it, you know, at the beginning. Um, so, but, but my favorite bit is 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 later on it's a big moment in the movie between john van horn and dorothy so it's it's michael as dorothy right whatever uh and i just thought it was a really thought it was a really good fucking line like i was like whoever whenever that person wrote that down they're like yeah that's like a big part of the movie and uh john van horn says i'm just an untalented old has-been dorothy says were you ever famous and john says no and dorothy says then how can you be a has-been <laughs> I, I liked that a lot because it's it's like funny but dark and sad and it's a big moment between those two characters right and you're you're kind of like it's kind of like filthy because john van horn fuck that guy you know um a, a lot of i mean a, par, a big part of the movie is a lot of the male characters are just so shitty so so shitty and i did did like some of those aspects like shining a light on the misogyny of the industry uh which is not not a fun topic but it's it's it's, you know it's it's part of what we love it's part of the movie industry and uh what's what's interesting is now you read stories about dustin hoffman and he didn't seem to be the nicest guy so it's kind of kind of a multi-layered um little bit of dialogue there that i just found to be really fascinating yeah, it's great. You know, like, why why are you sad that your career's in a slump if you've never had much of a career to begin with? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, uh, you, were, you were always a loser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't fall off the mountain if you never climbed it to begin with. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a good exchange. Um, one I almost went with was in the audition scenes where he's doing the toll story and the guy's like, now get up and walk to the center of the stage. And he's like, while I'm dying get up and walk to the center of the stage. And he's like, why? Cause you said so. It's like, yes, now do it. It's like, not while I'm Tolstoy. <laughs> like, wow, this is something I totally picture Dustin Hoffman actually doing. Correct. Yeah. There are multiple times where you're like, hmm, this might not be acting. The exchange we had, he had with his agent about the vegetable commercial. Where oh, that's sit down. Cause a tomato wouldn't sit down. Yeah, I'll be bringing that up later. I love that bit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's some there's some good moments in this. Um, I just think that it was kind of like you know, 
like one foot in, one foot out on the di- on the difficult stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. it. Like, it didn't want to be as gutsy as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I, I bet that was you know '80s culture. Studio was probably like, cut all this out. We're not greenlighting it. And Pollock was like, you know, probably had to compromise because he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy to half-ass a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's definitely due to the timing and studio. It, it's a big. This is a big, big production and made a lot of money. And like that, that's one of my favorite things about doing these these older movies is you just realize what people cared about, like audiences. I just like this this movie. I mean, it would have to be fucking Tom Cruise or some shit playing the main character for people to really go to the theater and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to check this out," and it's going to make millions and millions of dollars. This this is more of like something that would go straight to Netflix now. That's that's sad. Yeah, the mid-tier movie's dead. It's either a blockbuster or a horror movie and anything else just, you know, maybe spends a week in the theaters, if that, and ends up on a streaming site. Yeah, even even Barbarian was, like, it's already on HBO Max, and I'm like, god damn, like, they didn't waste any time putting putting that on a streamer. Uh, good for it, you know, it's, it's going to be seen by more people, but even that, that horror community that's just like we're just crazy about stuff even then it's like there's a rush for like the afterlife of of a movie after it's done in theaters like what is it going to do now what's next you know just barely gets to breathe and that's that's so sad yeah that's the mentality i don't really like these days is you know we don't we don't let anything gestate we just we go see it and we're immediately like okay cool what's next like we immediately want the next thing uh yeah i've been thinking about that a lot in my personal watching life where I'm like, am I, am I trying to cram too much in? Am I? Cause I was looking back, you know, it's getting close to the end of the year. Right. And I was looking back on my, all my monthly logs and I'm like, I completely forgot. I watched that, you know, like I'll go through and I'll see something. And I'm like, should I have dedicated more time to thinking about what that meant to me or, or finding someone to, to conversate, uh, you know, with it about, or, or, uh, you know, watching some fucking dumb mindless TV show right after I watched the movie just to, like, put something on, you know? Well, honestly, like, what helped me kind of overcome that is the reviews. Like, doing the reviews allows me yeah. to have some time to just think about it and write through my thoughts on the movie. And then once that's done, then I can kind of put that away and focus on something else. Like, that's, yeah, that makes sense. I need that to just kind of, it's become part of my film watching process. It has been for eight years. Like I can't not do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, that's a good, that's a good point. I think that's like really healthy for like the way you, you are, especially you like to write. So it's like, let me go ahead and type up a couple of paragraphs on this thing that I just experienced, whether I loved it or not, I'm going to get some thoughts out there. So I've been thinking about like slowing down. Like maybe trying to, I don't know, like soak soak up a movie more than, oh, let me let me watch another right after. Um, I mean, of course, there's going to be moments where if I'm rewatching, you know, all the fucking Harry Potters, who gives a shit? I already know what my feelings are about this. Yeah. But when I watch something for the first time, you know, I, I watch you know a foreign film for the first time. It's like let's, let's give it that 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 time, that time of day. If I hate it, I hate it, whatever, I'll move on. 
But like when I really like something, I feel like sometimes I don't give it that, don't give it that moment to like really stick in my brain and in my heart. And I, I've been thinking about that a lot the past like few days. And so I think I'm going to try to not be as like prolific with watching, but more, more so thinking about what I actually watched and having a better understanding of it. And uh, I also want to read more. So it's like I, something has to give. It's a good idea, man. It's a good idea. I think, yeah, I think that'll be healthy. Ah, love it. Love these discussions. Um, Ennio Morricone Award. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a couple, you know, written for the movie songs that are okay. I mean, they don't really m- mesh well with the movie. But um, soundtrack, there's one moment that I liked because of the way it was done. It's... Uh, it's when Michael's talking to his agent and is getting the realization that no one's going to hire you. You're difficult. Nobody likes you. Your people don't want to work with you. And he just goes, Oh yeah. And it immediately cuts to Dorothy walking in a crowd. Like there's no buildup to maybe Uh, I could become a woman. It's just straight. Like he didn't even think about it. He's like, well, this will work. And immediately does that. And then the music kind of is, you know, a bit of a jazzy score focusing in on a crowd. And then you realize, wait a minute. I think that's Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Yeah. Like the way that was done, like the film didn't waste any time and set up. It was just like he didn't even like consider the ramifications. He was just like, I'm going to do this now. And we just go in that direction. So I, I thought the, the juxtaposition of the smash cut to the crowd and the music that they used, I thought was very well done. OK, that's a good pick. That's well, well thought out. Um, I didn't I didn't quite catch that. I remember that scene, obviously, because it is it is quite striking. It's like, oh, OK, the movie's moved on to. To what it's about to become uh, so yeah I, I love that uh, when the for me when the uh, our, our two essentially main characters you know Jessica Lang and Dustin Hoffman when they have that like that, that, that moment in the street at the very end of the movie before the song it might be you starts playing is like a, it's a pretty sweet moment and he's like, look, like, uh, I'm an idiot. I'm willing to try, you know, I'm willing to learn, you know. And there's like that, there's like that silver lining within the movie of like, hey, these two, they were friends. They probably still can be friends. You're like, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I did like that song, you know, I was kind of like, oh, this is, because the movie ended and I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I don't, I usually have all my awards lined up when the movie ends. When it might be you plays by Alan Bergman, who's an absolute fucking legend. I was like, okay, this this can work. I did like that moment in the movie. I think the ending is 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 kind of cute. Mm. See, I didn't. I I read that it's a, as, it's a gimmick, but it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, for what we went through with the character, it's like, all right, it's nice for him to get a victory, but. From a realistic standpoint, she would never speak to him again after. Probably not. <laughs> that would shatter any hope of any kind of relationship. Like no friendship, no like, you know, dating, none of that. Like that would. She probably needs some therapy after finding that out. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it's I I just it, and her, her dad probably would have killed him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most likely, you know, I don't think he'd be just walking around like nothing happened. No, it's very, it's very, it's very, uh, movie magic. Yeah. It's an 80s, it's an 80s rom-com ending where it's like, Hey, maybe, you know, 
you rascal. Ah, all you did was lie to me every moment we've known each other. Ah, get over here. I forgive you. Like, I don't know. About yeah. That. Yeah. No, it's bullshit. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, did, I I love when Dustin Hoffman's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm an idiot. You know, I love those moments in his movies where he's like, I'm sorry. I fucked up. I'm, I'm a moron. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he does that a lot like, in this movie. Yeah, it's one of like his trademarks. Yeah, like, <laughs> just like hopeless moron. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, you can see how I I struggled big time with this award. <laughs> yeah, man, I can. <laughs> uh, uh, the, the the next one though, I, I did not. Um, the Flip Summer Hoffman Award. I I mean, it goes to my guy Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, it does. No one else is really, you know delivering the kind of performance he's doing here you know he's playing two characters essentially and really selling it on both sides of the coin i was impressed with that uh yeah i think you know jessica langs is good i don't really understand where the like giant critical acclaim for her performance came from i think she's good uh i thought terry gar was better and yeah he's just kind of you know doing his Bill Murray thing like he always does. Uh, but yeah, no one was really taking this from Dustin Hoffman. No, it, when I started the movie, I was like, oh, I would, lo- I would love to give this to Jessica Lange. You know, like I was, I was like, my headspace was like, I because she was also nominated for Francis and the uh, best lead, lead actress category. So I was like, oh, this is like a really cool year for Jessica Lange. Uh, kind of kind of her coming out party of like well i'm i'm like i'm that good and i, I love that she competes against meryl streep and julie andrews and sissy spacek and deborah winger in the the best lead actress category i was like that's cool but i just wasn't like completely sold on on tootsie you know with with her performance i i'm with you i think it's good not great terry gar on the other hand with the like little amount that she has she really brought the heat. I thought she was awesome. She's definitely second place. I've always loved Terry Gar because of Young Frankenstein. So seeing her in this and just playing like, you know, the I mean, the, the only reason they end up together is because he, he, he gets caught trying on her clothes and like just throws out like, I want to be with you. So he doesn't get caught. Like he creates that relationship going completely false pretenses and completely just massacres her heart in this movie. I just. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. It, <laughs> That's a funny moment, though, where she's like, well, it's kind of a one Harry Met Sally moment where she's like, sex ruins, you know, a friendship, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, I'll, I'll call you. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. What a guy. When he, like, confesses to her, I'm in love with another woman, and she just screams in the kitchen, like this I fucking knew it scream. Yep. I, I couldn't stop laughing. Same here, man. And And Hoffman... You know, he's going against, um, you know, the winner, Ben Kingsley for Gandhi. I've seen Gandhi. It's like four hours too long for me. But uh, <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's fine. It's, it's like a career turning, you know, role for for Kingsley. And I respect it. But I just I, it's one of those Oscar movies where it's like, really, like. That's the movie that got like eight wins, 11 nominations and best picture, like Jesus Christ, you know, like, do I, I don't know. It's just like. One of those that I just I I get the acclaim for it, but I don't get the, the it hasn't aged like like a 
like a Raiders of the Lost Ark or Atlantic City or this movie that's like really fun to rewatch and revisit. But Ben Kingsley is great as Gandhi. Um, then you have Hoffman, Jack Lemon, and Missing. I have got to see that movie. Like, I would tr- I tried. I I don't think it's on anything. Um, I was going to watch it last night. I was like, I need to see this movie with Jack Lemon and Sissy Spacek. Like, fuck, they're both up. I love those two people, so I, I need to check out Missing. I think it's based on the uh, like an actual incident uh, during one of the South American coups. So I. Yeah, definitely up my alley. I've been wanting to check that that one out for a while. Yeah, yeah. That's the one where I was like, shit. Because there's also Paul Newman for The Verdict. Of course, we both love that movie. That'd be my vote for, for this, to win for this. Uh, and then Peter O'Toole in My Favorite Year. Uh, these Those are some heavy hitters, man. Yeah, Peter O'Toole. I got to check out more of his stuff. He got like a, a nomination every couple years since like you know, from the 60s to the mid 80s. And never got one, never got a win. It was always like, eh, Peter's doing a movie. Let's throw him a nomination. Yeah, it's kind of like, like that's how Amy Adams is now. Ah, yeah. Since since like 2006, uh, Junebug, she's like consistently racked up nominations. I think she has six now and no wins. And I, I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen for her. I hope it does. Not if she's she keeps doing favorites. stuff like, not if she keeps doing stuff like Disenchanted, it's not going to happen. That's that is true. That is true. Um, that's sucks when that happens. You know, these people who are like always just just going for it, and they well, get the noms, but they don't. They, they they don't have the best. Well, I always, you know, whenever I think of a paycheck gig, I'm like, you made like six million dollars on your last movie. Like, what are you, what are you constantly spending that you always need the money? You know, I think about that with actors. Like, how can you not live comfortably on $6 million? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't understand that. Um, I, it makes me like when I, uh, whenever I hear an actor talk about like the way they live and kind of, it's kind of like more frugal. I, it makes me like them more. Like I, I listened to an episode uh, of a podcast that had Andrew Garfield on it. And I, I mentioned it before, but he talked about, like when I did Spider Man, like I, I I'm good, <laughs> like like I'm good, like I don't I don't need 19 cars, you know, like I I can just have my car, and like that that'll be the car I drive, you know. And I was like I, I like this guy more now, you know, like yeah. when 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 you just continue to live like a normal human being, and you just you you have that stuff ready to go if you want to have some cool life experience like you know travel or whatever, that's great. That's really cool to have at your at, at your expense, but I, I've never understood how actors and celebrities are just like I'm bankrupt. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did you do with all of it? What were you? How many subscriptions did you have each month? <laughs> well, if I'm you know spending, if I'm making like you know fifteen million dollars for playing fucking Captain America, and then I'm not. This is a dig at Chris Evans. I just picked that character at random. I. <laughs> And I, you know, am bankrupt five years later, but I've got a fleet of Mercedes Benz. Like, there's not going to be, there's not going to need to be an investigation on how I lost all that money. <laughs> it's, it's on you. Yeah. yeah. It's ridiculous. And I never feel sympathy for like major celebrities who are like, I need a GoFundMe. It's like, no, you need a fucking therapist. <laughs> yeah. You, you need an accountant. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jesus. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I love it. 
Uh, all right, so we both agree Dustin Hoffman gets gets like the best performance of the movie. Um, Roger Deakins Award, best scene of the movie. I'm I'm very curious where you're going to go here. I knew what this was going to be as soon as the movie started because it was an inevitable moment of the movie, and it's when Michael finally comes clean. The big, like the big reveal, yeah, on set. It's on a beautiful set. scene. Yeah. yeah, the way he manages to do it, so it feels like it's part of the show, and like it was always going to be part of the show, so nobody, you know, can sue him out of existence. I guess. I mean, it's still fraud. I'm wondering how he got away with that. Yeah. But um, <laughs> especially since they mentioned it earlier in the movie, it's like if you do that you'll never work again and you'll probably go to prison. And then he does that. And then that doesn't happen <laughs> anyway. Um, it's, they have to do the episode live. So he decides to use that moment after he, you know, Julie says, I can't see you anymore. And he uh, comes up with this fake ass backstory on the flies, fumbling his lines. I love that. Yes. <laughs> like it's so clear. He didn't think this through <laughs> and he just takes off. He's like, what is like? Edward, I think the name was. He's like, I'm yeah. Edward Kimberly. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, what? <laughs> he just takes off the makeup. Everyone's losing their minds. I was I was laughing my ass off. I'm like, of all the ways to do it, dramatically is exactly how he would have done it. So I thought that was really funny and a good cap to the movie. And uh, I would have ended it there, honestly. I don't think we needed the the epilogue. Ah, that's, that's a good point. This movie could have been like an hour and 30 minutes and would have felt a lot cleaner. You know, and, yeah. and not so much clean, but like it would have been, uh, it would have been more thought provoking. And that's probably what this movie needs is like a little bit more intellect to it. And mm-hmm. I did, I did like that scene a lot. I all Dustin Hoffman taking off the eyelashes and the wig and was just like, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then not only is it Dustin Hoffman, but you're thinking about this character, Michael Dorsey, and how they're, like they're just a showman. They're just a fucking showman. Like they they live for that, you know. Um, they rather they rather practice lines that they've written than have a real dinner conversation, you know. And so it, it is. It is a it is a good moment in the movie. I almost picked the same thing, but the beginning of this movie has some <laughs> has some amazing stuff, amazing material. And you alluded to it earlier, the scene between Michael and George, <laughs> his agent. Uh, my God, I I'll just read I'll I'll read <laughs> the string of dialogue. It really made me cackle, and I was like, uh, at this point in the movie, I was like, I'm in for a fucking ride, you know? Like I'm this is gonna be great. I would love to watch more of Michael Dorsey just spiraling out of control. <laughs> nothing nothing wrong with it. <clears throat> okay, so Michael Dorsey, he's in his office with George, with George, right? Uh, and they're they're talking, and he says, Michael says. Are you saying that nobody in New York will work with me? And George says, no, 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 that's too limited. Nobody in Hollywood wants to work with you either. I can't even set you up for a fucking commercial. You played a tomato for 30 seconds. <laughs> they went half a day over schedule because you wouldn't sit down. <laughs> Michael says, of course, that's illogical. <laughs> George, you were a tomato. A tomato doesn't have logic. A tomato can't move. <laughs> Michael, that's what I said. So if he can't move, how's he going to sit down, George? I was a stand-up tomato. <laughs> a juicy, sexy beefsteak tomato. Uh, nobody does vegetable like me. I did an evening of vegetables off Broadway. <laughs> uh, I did the best tomato, the best cucumber. <laughs> I did salad that knocked the critics on their asses. 
And George says, Michael, Michael, you're a brilliant actor, but there's nothing I can do for you. I think you ought to get some therapy. Michael says, George, I'm going to raise $8,000. I'm going to do Jeff's play myself. And George says, Michael, you haven't been listening to me. You're not going to raise 25 cents. George says again, no one will hire you. And then, oh yeah? And then we cut to the, that moment that you brought up earlier. This is fantastic stuff. When he says, you were a tomato. A tomato doesn't have logic. <laughs> Nobody just, does vegetables so like me. That's, that's yeah, the highlight yeah. to me. <laughs> I'm, I, for what it's worth, like I give this movie a 7 out of 10. I am going to use that dialogue in my real life. I'm going to. Anytime I can, anytime tomatoes brought up now, I'm going to think of Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> I've wondered that's, if that, that's something. I feel like that came from a real place of like Dustin Hoffman going up for a commercial and it's like, well, a tomato wouldn't sit down, so I'm not going to sit down. Like, yeah. he seems like the guy to make that call. Yeah. Yeah. To, to like treat it, <laughs> to treat a commercial like he's Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a great bit. I love it. I love that Sidney Pollack plays the agent, and it's just it's great back and forth with him and Hoffman. Uh, yes, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, Sidney Pollack. That's like one of his trademarks, right? As he'll pop up in his movies, and he always does. Like he's great in that scene as the agent. He's wonderful, and he pops up later. You know, and I, I love that. I love when a director likes to kind of put himself uh, not not the center of attention, but just in a few scenes, and he does great. He always did. He did that in other people's movies all the time. He just popped up randomly. Like my favorite one is the first time I ever saw Sidney Pollack and it's in death becomes her. Ah, Meryl Streep goes to the hospital after getting killed by her husband and her neck's broken. And she's like alive. And the doctor played by Sidney Pollack is slowly realizing, well, I think this woman's dead because her, she's got a bone coming out of her neck. She doesn't have a pulse. Her body temperature is below 80. She doesn't have a heartbeat. And he's like slowly putting these, pieces together and then he has a heart attack in the other room (laughs) it's great (laughs) fantastic is is, do you have a favorite Sidney Pollock movie I have not seen enough yet to make that call okay yeah Yeah, I just I don't know for me it's probably The Firm the Tom Cruise film Mm -hmm. I, I love The Firm but I mean yeah he's got you know Out of Africa which is obviously a big time Big time eighties movie, Sabrina, nineteen ninety five. You know, of course, Tootsie. I yeah, I just I'm not like crazy about his work. Um, I thought you really liked uh, Three Days of the Condor. Yeah, nineteen seventy five. I do love that one. Yeah, I I kind of forget that's him. Yeah, I haven't. I've only seen a couple. I saw The Interpreter, which I didn't really think was that great. I saw Sabrina, which I also didn't really like. So. Tootsie's kind of my favorite right now, but I know there's more to see. Uh, the one, the one that you'll you'll like, and I think we should do on this show one day is they shoot horses, don't they? Jane Fonda. That's that's a damn good movie. Yeah, I've heard good things about that, and I do really want to see the firm. Yeah, the firm kicks ass. Yeah, fucking, <laughs> it's just a fun. It's like a fun, uh, you know, lawyer thriller movie. Just it, it's kind of right up our alley. Just good shit. Nothing. It's not going to be one of your top ten favorite movies of all time, but it's definitely one that you'll have fun with and want to rewatch. You know, nice. That's always I prefer that more than anything. Yeah, and uh, I don't know if I should spoil it or not. Or, or not. Um, yeah, why not? 
there, <laughs> there's, there's a moment in the firm. I'm, I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent. It's the firm. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much there. Cause I haven't seen this in a little while, but there's a scene toward, where Tom Cruise is like running from people, right? You know, he's running from the bad guys and out of nowhere, Dean Norris fucking pops out and is like, has like a beanie on and is like in front of him trying to fucking, you know, like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, the, the first time I saw this was, was pre breaking bad. The first time I saw the firm, cause my mom loves the firm. Uh, but then after Breaking Bad, I was just like, always like, it's fucking Hank Schrader. Like, it's, fucking, <laughs> it's fucking Hank. But yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, fucking Gene Hackman's in that, Ed Harris is in that. You know, yeah, it's Hal Holbrook's in it. It's awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I, I bought it at a flea market a while back. I have it. I just have to watch it. I think, pretty sure, also, yeah, Gary Busey is in it. Uh, yeah, it's just like an insane cast. David Strathairn is in it. Um, yeah, fucking nutty. I would love to rewatch that. And, I don't know. Do it on something. Was it was it up for stuff? I think like it was. It was for nominated stuff. for. It was nominated for two. There you go. It's all we need. <laughs> it is all we need. You know. It's and it's also uh, categories we like: supporting actress and score. So that's fine. Nice, sweet. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. Cool, cool. All right. Well, yeah, that was that was fun. Fifty um, fifth Academy Awards. Like I said at the beginning of the show, we did talk about these not that long ago. With a uh, poltergeist. My question to you is: ten nominations for Tootsie. Which one of those are well deserved, and which ones are kind of like, nah, take it or leave it? Um, original song makes sense. Um, Hoffman deserved a nomination. I think Terry Gar deserved a nomination. I don't necessarily think Jessica Lange should have been nominated. I don't That's think she's fair. doing that that great here. Um. I get a, uh, the screenplay nomination. I get Pollock for director. Yeah, take it or leave it. Like, yeah. like I get it, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that's about where I'd stop. I don't really get film editing. I don't get cinematography. Uh, sound, I really don't get. Yeah, definitely, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, and best picture, like, come on. I mean, <laughs> you know. <sighs> That's that. Here's the thing with these these '80s years is you just you can always find gems from the '80s that have. I mean, like the thing came out this year. Like you know, it's just like I hate that the Oscars are the way they are in that regard because now, I would say ET is you know the most like you know quote unquote important and talked about movie from that year. But the thing is, like, people love the thing. It is like the highest rated horror movie on Letterboxd. Like, people love that fucking movie. Myself included. Yourself included. I do. I was I was talking to Caleb recently. I think it was on a podcast. It might have been on Octopussy. Um, that in a perfect world, when you know, if horror is taken seriously by the Academy every year, then. I believe horror movies dominate every technical award since the beginning. But, you know, I mean, what te- what horror does with visual effects and makeup is unrivaled. Like it comes like it's leagues ahead of every other genre in, in what they have to do with effects. So I, I think it's criminal that they don't ever get credit for that. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, God, you know, if you could go back. And I'm not saying. I know you're not the same way either, 
I know there's horror fans out there who are just like, fucking, all these horror movies should be up. I don't think that. I do think nearly every year, you could, except there's, there's some decades that are weaker than others, but nearly every year, especially in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, there's a horror movie that should have made a lot of noise. And the thing is definitely the one from 1982. That one in Poltergeist should have been going like toe to toe. Yeah. That's, 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 just, that's just how it is. Like, especially in those decades where the, 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 to speak the, the, the visual effects side of things, the practicality of horror at that time was on a fucking different level. The fact that Rob Bottin does not have an Oscar for best visual effects for the thing is one of the biggest, like just mistakes in film history. I mean, it's, it's art what he did with that movie. The fact that it still looks amazing, still holds up. It was unbelievably influential. It's still freaky. Come on. <laughs> what more do you yeah. need? Yeah, man. I I don't understand. It's it's just one of those things. Cause you know, you, you have your outliers, you know, that are that are there throughout Oscar history, you know, horror movies, but it's not as consistent. And I'm not saying I'm not saying every year a horror movie should be up for best picture or something, but it should be up for stuff whether it be technical or score or this or that. I, I hate I hate that we shy away from giving someone like John Carpenter a best director nod. Mm-hmm. You know, I hate that. Well, it should, you know, it's, I don't want just, you know, the token horror movie in the best picture category every year. It has to earn its place. And there are right. so many horror movies that earn its, earn their places in the Oscars, but are shut out because of what they are. And that sucks. I mean, <laughs> I found out, that uh, Caleb told me that uh, the producers of Terrifier 2 have submitted it for Oscar consideration. <laughs> love that. I love that. I mean, there's not a chance in hell they're going to get anything, but I love that they even thought to do that. Yeah, like Art the Clown, best yeah. best actor. <laughs> well, if like if Terrifier 2 wins, and like, if it gets nominated and it wins an Oscar for like makeup in Terrifier 3... I saw somebody wrote that Art the Clown should kill somebody with an Oscar. Oh, that'd be so sick. <laughs> that'd be so sick. I still haven't seen Terrifier 2. I, uh, at this point, I'll probably wait till it's on something, which is sad, but just a uh, lack, of, lack of funds right now, and uh, there's so much stuff I want to see. I'm trying not to... Do what I did. Time. Get a Screenbox account on Prime. Watch it. Immediately cancel it. You don't have to pay anything. I like that. Screenbox. Okay. That's what I did. Yeah. There's always a way around the system. Exactly. <laughs> Cancel subscription. I saw Terrifier 2. I'm good. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm scrolling through some 1982 movies. Now, I know you're a big fan of uh, King of Comedy. Yeah. What the f- How'd that not get here? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Robert De Niro delivering one of his most out-of-the-box performances. You know, Scorsese doing his thing. Like, how does a, you know, 80s Scorsese movie starring De Niro not make it into the Oscars? So 1982, if we if we were making the five nominations, we take The Thing, we take The King of Comedy, we take Poltergeist. You know what? Uh, I'll, I'll leave the verdict. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely taking the verdict. <laughs> and the fifth one, man, every time I scroll, I scroll past, past this movie missing and i'm like fuck it's directed by costa gavras the guy who did z oh there you go that's all i need we need to put this thing on the schedule (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. I need to see this fucking movie. Um, yeah, Jack Lemmon's Sissy Spacek. That's all. I don't know. And the the little IMDb summary is when an idealistic American writer disappears during the Chilean uh, coup, like you said, in September 1973, his wife and father try to find him. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Like, <laughs> that sounds fantastic. It does. It really does. Um, yeah, I'm not seeing anything here in the in the show that I would keep um, checking my letterbox now for 82. Movies. I, I do love Sophie's choice. That is a movie I, I, I adore. Um, Haven't seen Sophie's choice. I know it's going to be an emotional yeah, it's, movie. Yeah. It's not, not, yeah, it's tough. Hmm. What about like, uh, what do you think of fast times at Ridgemont high? <laughs> yeah. I, I like that movie's movie's hilarious. <laughs> I, I do wish that would have got some love, you know? That would have been fun. It's in the Criterion Collection. It's considered, a, you know, to buy them one of the greatest films of all time worth preserving, so. It definitely is. Like, the, I don't know, just like what it represents. And it's in that same kind of really cool box that, like, Daisy Confused is in, where it's like, this represents a time and place, and it's really, really unique. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember I really liked it. Um. Yeah, I you know what? I mean, if we want to throw some sci-fi love, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan is Wrath of Khan. Quite a great movie. Uh this is the year of Rocky three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh I'm trying to think if there's anything I haven't seen that I'm missing. It sounds like missing is gonna be right up our alley. I think it will be. I also really wanted to see Das Boot. I heard that was That's yeah, that's up for some stuff. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I tried to watch that once when I was a kid, and that was way too early to watch that because I was checked out immediately. I'm like, a German submarine film? No, thank you. So, yeah, yeah. Now I'm ready. What about, have you seen Diner? The Barry Levinson film? It's all right. I, I've seen Diner, didn't care for it. I, I I thought it was kind of a rehash of American Graffiti. Very much, very much so, yeah. Yeah. I just don't like the, you know, it's the last day of school before we all move on. Let's all talk like during the night and maybe something will happen. I don't like that kind of genre. (laughs) Yeah, the like uh, super sentimental. I I love the way you said it, like something might happen, like something might click all of a sudden, you know. The high school was the greatest time of our lives and now it's over movie. I've never cared for that. I think that I, I just mentioned Daisy Confused. I think that's why I like that one so much, so much more than that because it's people are there about to be seniors in high school, so they haven't quite crossed that that road yet. They're still like complete morons who are like, no, like I'm gonna have some fucking fun this year, you know? Yeah, Dazed works because it's not trying to make some you know declaration about life. It's just like, hey, it's summer. Let's you know get high and not. You know, not join the football team. Let's do, let's do this. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. From the words of uh, uh, one of the best characters in that that movie, he's like, uh, "I came here to drink some beer and kick ass." It looks like we're all out of beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. I gotta re- I gotta watch that again. I don't even know what to say about it anymore. Like, it's just so much in my heart. Like, I even I even don't know anymore. Like someone's like, what are your five favorite Linklater movies? On some days, I might leave that out because it's like I don't even know what to say anymore. It's like, 
it's it, it's like so ingrained in me that I I, I get how biased I am. <laughs> I I understand that, man. I got my direction. <laughs> yeah, just I I I don't know, and I just love obviously love Linklater and so much of his work. So just just very very biased. Like even even if he does something like wrong, I'm like no. <laughs> That's my dad. <laughs> you know? uh, Ethan Ethan Hawk is my movie dad. Linklater is like my uncle. <laughs> one, I'm like we gotta we gotta bring Linklater to this show. We gotta do one of the before movies yeah. of Boyhood and do like a draft or something. Yeah, fuck. I yeah. My brother asked me about Jeremy. Was like, why haven't you gone down that road? I'm like, because it's scary. Because <laughs> it's like I don't, it, it feels. There's times where we do episodes where I'm like, it feels so uh, the finality of of like having that conversation is like, oh, my God, I actually am doing this. And it's something I've dreamt of, you know, when we when we first did, you know, Boogie Nights and we did the master and Magnolia, I was like, like I can't having an out of body experience because this is like this is what I dream about <laughs> is like that person's movies. That's powerful, man. I get it. I know I felt that way when we did Back to the Future. I was like, I, we did so many filmgasms avoiding Back to the Future because I was like, once we talk about Back to the Future, we've talked about Back to the Future. Exactly, like it's in the past now. Like it's in, it's the it's in the rear view, and that's frightening. <laughs> it is, man. It is. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, but you got you got to keep it moving, you know. And part of the point is finding new directors to to like kind of fall in love with. Uh, new people to get attached to. Um, so I, I did want to ask you, usually we do this at the beginning of the show, but uh, something just for fun here. This has been, this has been a, a, a totally unique episode. Why not keep it that way? W- what have you been getting into? I haven't talked to you in a while about like what you've been watching in your own time. It's been a minute. We've been doing, I try not to do that when I know we're about to have a massive episode. Like last week's episode is like three hours long. I was like, I don't feel like tacking on another 15 minutes of me, you and Caleb talking about whatever TV shows or movies we've been watching. Yeah. But I haven't heard from you in that way in a while because you were, uh, you were in, you were in Germany. And then we did that massive episode on Carrie. So it's been like three weeks since I've really just heard from you on what you've been up to. Yeah. Um, so I've been um, on the TV side of things. I decided to start a rewatch of the X-Files. Yes. Okay. Which I'm nearing the end of season three and just loving the hell out of that. I, it's one of my all-time favorite shows. That hasn't changed. And yeah, it's a great way to kill some time. Um, as far as film goes, I haven't really been exploring outside the podcast because I've been caught up with a lot of school stuff. But I did randomly just kind of say fuck it this week um i went to the movies three times okay um the first time was with my new friend hannah if you're listening hi hannah how you doing uh we went and saw (laughs) we went and saw halloween ends um at a good time um and then on my own i went and saw black adam which was not as good as i hoped but you know that's kind of dc for you it's like you know Every other film's gonna suck, so brace yourself. Uh, he was just too yeah. strong. He was too powerful. Like he was so powerful, there were no stakes. Like this guy's invincible. Why am I gonna get worried about anything here? 
Isn't that why? Isn't that why we love like the Batman so much? Is the the human human side of it? Yeah, he can get shot. He can get stabbed. He can break something. Black Adam is literally just burning cities to the ground and like exploding like nukes in his in his face and walking away from it. So like, not once did I feel any kind of like, oh, this might go south. Um, and then the the you know the cameo that got spoiled by everybody before the movie even came out. So like that wasn't that exciting. Uh, what 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 is it? I'm not gonna probably ever watch it. Superman shows up. Henry Cavill's back in the saddle, and uh, oh, okay, that's what people have been chatting about. Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm so out, I'm so out of the loop. Like <laughs> when we were texting earlier with Josh and Caleb about about Henry, and I just saw a picture of him as Cyclops, and I was like, what? <laughs> just like what? What's happening? I don't understand. Yeah, I guess Dwayne Johnson and I think James Gunn convinced Henry Cavill to come back to the role of Superman, and I guess that's not going to leave a lot of time for The Witcher, so he left The Witcher, and Liam Hemsworth is replacing him, and people are fucking pissed. Fans do not like that. I didn't know that show like had a huge following. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's you know the, the Witcher fan base is very devoted to the books, games, and the show, and yeah. Cavill is, I guess, the best pick for that character, and now he's gone, and... I guess no, they don't want Liam Hemsworth, so I give I played, that show another I, year. I played the game; it's really cool. I just didn't know, like, I didn't know the show was what like doing that well. So I tried Shit. to play. I tried to play the game; it's too too much for me. I don't like giant games. Um, so yeah, Black <laughs> Adam wasn't too great. Um, then I went and saw Smile, uh, which ah. I was that was creepy. <laughs> okay. Okay. That was impressive. Uh, one of the weirdest creature designs I've ever seen. Um, and a very bleak, uh, nihilistic horror movie about just, you know, once you see it, like, that's it. There's no escape from this thing. It's it's, it's freaky. Okay. Uh, it was the guy, um, Parker Finn, I think his name is. It's his, it's his um, debut. And the lead actress was uh, Kevin Bacon's daughter. So. Wow. Yeah. So pretty good. Um, and then. Because I was waiting for it and it finally came out, I watched on Roku uh, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I. <laughs> it's so funny because it's such bullshit and it's so aware that it's bullshit. It's Weird Al doing a parody of the music biopic and just ex- exaggerating everything about his life. But his dad like beating him like, no son of mine's going to play the accordion and like crazy shit like that. It's so funny. <laughs> That's great. Daniel Radcliffe does an incredible job. Um, Evan Rachel Wood was great as Madonna. There are so many random cameos from just like comedians who love Weird Al and wanted to be a part of this. And uh, it's on the Roku channel. Like what? Yeah. It's random. there's a few ads. It's it's free to watch if you've got access to Roku, and it's a great watch. It's really funny. Uh, Weird Al is prominently in the movie as a character who's like trying to be like, well, he's not like people are like Weird Al sucks, and he's like, well, he's not that bad. It's, it's great <laughs> i love that that's really cool i'll definitely definitely try to give that a whirl sometime soon i've I've only heard yeah fun things like that about it that it that it's a parody of the biopic which of course i have my issues with the music biopic so like that'll that'll be refreshing i was watching a video of like all the cast members uh answering what movie would they want to see be parodied and Daniel Radcliffe was like, uh, he said something. 
I mean, it was like not just uh, actors. It's a bunch of people. And like one person said Shawshank Redemption. One person said Jaws. One person said uh, The Godfather, you know. Um, Trent, Daniel Radcliffe said something really interesting. And I can't remember. And I was like, what the fuck? How did that... He seems like a really, really neat guy to hang out with. The more I like, the, as he gets older, and you know, he really sheds the, the Harry Potter stuff. I feel like that guy would be fun to like have a beer with. Yeah, I got, I got so much respect for Daniel Radcliffe because he escaped the child actor curse. I mean, he, you know, didn't get pigeonholed. He's not going to, you know, he is able to create a vast uh, catalog of of films after Harry Potter. He overcame some substance abuse brought on by, you know, the Harry Potter spotlight. And he, he hasn't like, you know, put it away. He's not like, don't ever talk to me about that. No, he's very open about his experiences on Harry Potter and what it meant to him and the mentors he got to have. But he's also, you know, looking forward to the future. And yeah, he just seems like a fairly balanced guy who knows what he wants. And I respect that. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, definitely, definitely a guy that probably has a lot lot to share and he's still what like in his mid 30s yeah yeah he's he's just still just starting out he got he became yeah, famous when he was 11 okay so that that first one came out in what 2001 yeah so he's 11 so he's probably like 32 he's probably like, he's probably like five years older than we are yeah <laughs> he's he's lived a, a full life already it's insane yeah, <laughs> and he's weird Al. <laughs> yeah, now he's weird. Now he's fucking weird Al. Uh, what he was in a horror movie. This is years ago now. Um, Woman in Black, or mm-hmm. yeah, I didn't love the movie, but I really liked him in it. And I remember seeing that in theaters, you know, way back with some friends. And I just, I just kind of thought, I really hope, really hope he has a cool career. Really hope it's long, and he completely sheds that that franchise, you know, wait, uh, cause it's, I'm sure it's heavy. Oh, it is. It's, you know, it's, there's certain characters that once you play them, especially young, that's who you are forever to people. You know, Mark Hamill will always be Luke Skywalker. Daniel Radcliffe will always be Harry Potter. It's just, it's, it's an unfortunate yeah. life. Uh, but what you do with that acclaim and what you do with that spotlight is entirely up to you. And I think both of them have really done well with, you know, making a career of their own and not letting that kind of be an anchor on them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Very true. Ah, okay. Good stuff. So if you had to recommend one of those to me, you'd say it's probably that one. It's probably without a doubt. It's the easiest one to access and it's a fun watch. It's so ridiculous and just entertaining. There's no, there's no baggage attached to it. There's no, you know, controversy. It's just weird Al making fun of himself because who doesn't love Weird Al Yankovic? He's like just funny as hell and just wants to make people laugh. Yeah, yeah. I don't see, I don't see how anybody could be like, "Fuck that guy," you know? Like, I, I, I get like if you're like not crazy about his work, that's fine. But like, what has he done? What has he done? You know, to anybody? You know, he's that kind of that kind of guy. I saw him in concert a few years ago. I went to, it was really fun. He played all his hits. You know, he came out in the fat suit for Fat. It was, it was funny. Like he, he's a showman. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I didn't know you had seen him. That's fun. Where'd you see him at? It was at the Majestic in San Antonio. It was okay. Like a long time ago. I think it was like eight years ago. It was a, a birthday gift for my cousin Rowan, who was a Weird Al fan at the time, and I got 
uh, pick to take him. And I had more fun than he did. <laughs> I love that. Worked out for you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'll, uh, I've been, I, I've, I've been watching, as you know, uh, Twin Peaks TV show. Uh, I want to, before the year ends, I want to finish the show um, entirely. So like the return included, and I want to watch fire walk with me. You know, I want to do the whole Twin Peaks rewatch. Um, and uh, I'm watching it on Paramount Plus, and fucking Paramount Plus has ads, like, you know, each episode's whatever, 42 minutes, and it has, like, three ads that are all, like, you know, three minutes long. I know this is sad to, like, complain about. I'm, <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. It takes me out of it sometimes. Because you're watching, you know, fucking Leland Palmer smash somebody's face into the, into the wall, and then, and then the next minute you're watching a, a, an ad for Honda, you know? You're like, oh, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't need this, you know? So it's, it's like kind of annoying. Like, I'm not going to lie. I'm like, I want to watch Twin Peaks. Cause when I first watched it, I first watched Twin Peaks, like in 20, 2014, 2015, somewhere in there. And it was on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, I just shredded through it. You know, there's obviously no ads there. Uh, I shredded through that. And then I, you know, watched the, you know, Tw- fire walk with me and the return came out in 2017 and I was very hesitant on it. I didn't watch it until COVID in 2020. So I waited three years for that. I don't really know why I just was so hesitant on not being satisfied. And I was, I really liked it. So I'm excited to go down, <laughs> to go down that road and, and kind of put it, put it all back in my brain. You know, again, I'm having a blast. I'm on episode 10, I think of season two. So I've got like, you know, I'm a little over halfway through like the original 30 episode run. And then I'll watch, yeah, I'll, I'll probably watch Fire Walk with Me and then The Return. So, um, yeah, I'm, have, I'm having a blast just with that. But it does it does take up time. I'll tell you that. Um, and basketball is back. So I've been watching a lot of basketball. That's uh, always something I have to, to manage as well because uh, it's very hard for me to not watch NBA at night. <laughs> And, uh, excuse me. And, uh, I, my brother and I, Adam, we've, uh, had NBA league pass for, for like over a decade now, every season we sign up for it. Um, I've probably missed a couple seasons here and there, but he has never missed, you know, he's like the biggest basketball fan that I know and has a pretty limitless knowledge of the history of the game. And we, you know, uh, always, we try to always sign up for it together, split it down the middle. I'll have it like on my phone and my fucking Roku. And he does the same thing. Cause you can have it on like whatever five devices. So we'll kind of split it that way. Uh, this year they lowered the price from like 150 to 120 because not as many people were, were signing up for it the past few seasons. Really sad. It's just uh, one of those things that I can get angry about, you know, like, Oh, people aren't, because I'm willing to pay whatever. I don't give a shit. NBA League Pass means you get access to every single fucking game every single night. And so that's way more than if I didn't have it. There's maybe one, maybe two games on per night. Maybe on like national television, whether it be ESPN or ABC or whatever, NBA TV. With League Pass, if there's 14 games on, I can watch all 14 of those fucking games if I want. And like, that's just, that's like the beauty of it. That's why you pay for it. It's just really sad that like not as many people are getting it. 
these these days. That's because of uh, social media. You can watch highlights on there. You can catch up through Twitter. There's not a lot of real fans left anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that. And uh, I definitely pride myself in being a true fan who really tries to watch the actual games. It's like, it's like, it's like the Oscars, Connor, where these fuckers don't watch the whole movie. They watch clips. Mm-hmm. And that bothers me. Whether it's sports or movies or music, I don't care. Gotta watch or listen to the whole thing. That's like part of the deal. If you really want to have an opinion on it. So I've been watching a lot of basketball. And the the new they have a new app, which they've upgraded for sure since last season. They've added a lot of extra content for people who pay for the pay for the pay for league pass. And one of those things is called Hoop Cities. And it's a bunch of documentaries that are about uh, different cities in Europe that are like in love with basketball that you may not know. And I have, I have cried through these, some of these episodes. I have been like completely touched on a human level and been reinvigorated for my love of basketball by watching people in Germany who are like, no, people think we love soccer here. We also love basketball. Like basketball is part of our DNA, you know? And when you realize that you realize how big the game is really realize how big the world is it just makes me really happy and I'm having a blast with those. Uh, I watched like three of them a week ago, back to back to back, just bang, bang, bang. And then last night I watched, uh, there's one in Lithuania and there's one in Germany. I watched those two back to back last night. I just, I, I just having a blast. Like this is right up my alley. It's like a history lesson with basketball, with voices, um, around the world that that need to be heard, so I'm having a really good time with that. But it's taking up my time, you know. I don't. I'm not watching a lot of just regular movies. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, like like you were saying earlier, you know, you you watch so much that you know it's okay to take a break from that once in a while. Embrace some of your other hobbies. Yeah. Yeah, well, I did. I texted you this last night, um, like late last night. I did watch Zodiac because <laughs> yeah. it's. I, I try to watch that like every November. It's one of those <laughs> movies around this time of year. Uh, just, just, just speaks to me. <laughs> I just, I'm obsessed with it. I become a fucking Zodiac, you know, uh, fucking fanatic. You know, like I'm like, oh, I got to know everything about this. You know, when I watch that movie, I'm pausing the movie, like looking things up on on the internet. <laughs> It's one of those movies where I feel like I'm totally immersed in what David Fincher was doing and that 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 movie just fucking rules, you know. It's my favorite Fincher movie. It 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 goes toe to toe in my opinion with the best of the best from that from that decade mm-hmm. uh, including There'll Be Blood and No Country for Old Men same year and I just adore Zodiac. So I did get to watch that. That was a rewatch, you know. I've seen that movie like 40 times now. So, I love it. I do think it is funny and odd that both of us at the, around the same time unprompted decided to rewatch our favorite 90s horror crime drama start like about a federal agent investigating weird shit like you did twin peaks and i did the x-files that's great yeah, i didn't really think about it that way that's fucking awesome yeah why why is this time of year always in october november where i'm like i just want to be unsettled well, and also I was having a, a conversation with Colton uh, a while back where he brought up the like, he said something like most 
like pop culture fans can be split into two categories. Those who are team Dale Cooper or team Fox Mulder. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm a Mulder fan. And like right after we talked about that, you started watching Twin Peaks and I started watching the X-Files again. <laughs> And that's hilarious. So Colton, is he he likes both or is he like I think he's I think he's Twin Peaks. Oh wow. Uh, okay. All right. I, Colton. I think so. Yeah. It's uh <laughs> I don't, but they both have, you know, a strong start and a weak finish to some people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I hear that. I I mean Twin Peaks comes out of the gate like holy fucking shit. You know, the first especially the first couple episodes, but you know, um, the first eight from season one are, are just stellar and X files. That's what I've always been hung up on is there's so many episodes. So many true. And you get, you get kind of lost. Well, there's so many episodes, but they cover such a great variety of stuff. It's not just all aliens. There's ghosts, there's monsters, Correct. there's serial killers. There's, like telekinesis, it, it goes in every possible direction. There's a sea monster episode in season four. Yeah. And yeah. it's a good run. Like the first seven seasons are awesome. Season eight has grown on me because that's when Robert Patrick showed up and like David Duchovny left the show. So that's it takes a bit to get used to this guy, but the stories are great. Nine sucks and the reboot sucks. <laughs> so you could just you could end it at season seven, honestly, and that would be just fine. Because seven has a good finale that's like wraps things up where it's like you don't really need to keep going, but you can if you want to. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. Uh I one of the coolest things about X Files is that like they're all a lot of them are just mini movies, you know, it's like one off. You don't you don't I mean it, it pays off to like watch them all in order, but you yeah. could just pick one episode out and you're like, Oh, that was that was really cool. Well, I watched one last night that's always been one of my all-time favorites, and I found out two things. One, it was a movie idea that got retooled by the writer into an X-Files episode. And two, that writer was Vince Gilligan. Holy shit. Yeah, he got his start on the X-Files, and some of the greatest episodes of that show were written by him. Uh, yeah, I, I knew he was a pro- prolific X-Files writer, but I didn't know he did that one. I know what you're talking about. It's called Pusher. It's from season three. It's about okay, a guy. Yeah. It's about a guy who has a um, a brain tumor that awakens a form of telekinesis in his brain, where he can convince people to do whatever he wants them to do. And he takes this and becomes a contract killer, and ends up getting hunted by the FBI and lures Mulder into this cat and mouse game where it's like he knows he's going to die, but he's going to go out in a blaze of glory and he's going to take as many people with him as he wants. And he's such a great villain, and it's so tense it's such a great episode the the character came back in season four with like a follow-up episode that was like just as good and yeah i now that i know who vince gilligan is i can totally see the like you know the change in quality whenever he's he's behind the, mm. the screen <laughs> mm, i love that as you get older you start to realize those 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 little holes that something can have and then it raises when someone else is you know in charge right that is that is really that is really neat because there's so many writers on that show, you can tell the variance, you know. Well, the um, fact that he like he was a fan who wrote in an episode and they were like, "This is great, let's hire him." And that episode was at the end of season two called "Soft Light" about this scientist who got in an accident and his shadow became made of dark matter and it was killing people. 
And like, that was a fan episode that Vince Gilligan used to get into the writer's room and he just never left. Like that's, that's fucking awesome. And then he met Brian Cranston in season six, remembered him when he went to go create breaking bad. And then, and then the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, so badass. I love that. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. I, I should, I should go down the X-Files road again one day, you know, it's just, just a good time. It's a good, um, for me anyway, I, I'm pretty sure the same way. It's a good at night before I go to bed, watch a couple episodes. You knocked out some quality content. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm doing it. Like, I'm not, you know, just watching X-Files, you know, nine to five. You know, when I go to bed, I'll put on a couple episodes and then do it again the next day. That's how I've been doing it. Yeah, exactly. Love that. Um, all right. Well, this is it's been good. It's been good to hear what you've been up to. Uh, I love doing that every once in a while. Um, this week. Before we start talking about uh, what we're doing on Oscar Sunday next week, which I definitely think we should explain in detail what we're, what exactly we're doing, because it's kind of insane, but it's going to be awesome. Uh, on Filmgasm on Wednesday, uh, that's going to be you, I'm guessing, and I don't know, Josh on Superhost? going to be Caleb. He, okay. he volunteered for this one. Ah, okay. He's it's like, it's a movie he likes. Yeah, it's... So it's a weird, it's a Shutter original about an Airbnb thing gone wrong or something. I haven't looked into it too much because I want to be surprised when I watch it. Okay, cool. I like that. Yeah, I haven't seen Superhost either. Makes sense that it'd be about Airbnb Superhost. Um, <laughs> good shit. Caleb loves that Shutter stuff. And then on his show, Beyond the Bad, uh, <laughs> Mars Needs Moms. All right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. We're taking on a failed Disney movie and going to look into kind of how the House of Mouse handles failure, which happens more than you'd think, but doesn't hit them the way it hits everybody else. <laughs> Correct. There's like a whole slew of movies that just did not make their money back and also critically were, you know, destroyed. But they just, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll just do it again next week and figure it out. For every Frozen, there's like five or six Mars Needs Moms. Yeah. You know, some of those Disney bombs are some of my favorite movies that ever done, like Country Bears. Oh yeah, <laughs> movie, that movie lost millions, millions of dollars. But God, I love it. I have never <laughs> been pressured to watch a movie more than the Country Bears. <laughs> Platoon and the Country Bears, and it stems from Jeremy and I. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, the Country Bears. It's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Christopher Walken um, and his in one of his greatest roles. No, I just love it just because it's like nostalgic and stupid and silly and funny. Uh, it's not going to change your life. <laughs> 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 okay, uh, okay. So next week, uh, we've we've been I don't know. We've talked about doing this many many times, going down the Marvel road, and uh, you know. Admittedly, for me, over the past probably year or so, I've been just kind of disappointed and a little confused on what's going on with Marvel. Um, you know, it, I feel like I was holding on to the Spider-Man, which is almost a year old now. Uh, been holding on to that for like, like, like oh, that's like a, a bit of the glory days, right? And been holding on to that pretty tight. And then all this other stuff that's happened around it, it's just like, mm, this isn't really for me. I'm not really huge into the TV shows. Um, Eternals, fine. Doctor Strange, fine. 
Thor. Eh, I don't know. It's just been kind of like, like, all right, what's going on? What are we doing? You know? And so this upcoming week, you know, this, this Friday, the new black Panther comes out, right? Wakanda forever. It seems like from what people are talking about, like, okay, all right, now we're going to get back on track. Like I swear to I swear this is it. You know, we'll get back to kind of, you know, a, a big tent pole, you know, movie. It's a movie that's going to pay homage to Chadwick Boseman and, and, and apparently is a really good movie. Got Ryan Coogler back. All right. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping I'm going to see it. I'm seeing it on Friday, I'm seeing it opening day at like 11 a.m. or something like that. So I'm, I'm in, you know, I'm still here. <laughs> like, I, I still, I, I will not give up. And the reason I won't give up is because of what they did from 2008 to 2019. And you and I, I've had many conversations about, you know, how do we bring that MCU, that, that like 22 movie run, how do we bring that here? I think we finally found a, a way to do it. We're going to talk about Endgame. We're going to give awards out to Endgame. We're going to talk about that ceremony from 2019 a little bit. <laughs> but mostly what we're doing is highlighting those, those movies. From, from 2008 to 2019. We're going to do a Marvel MCU character hall of fame, I guess is what you call it. There will be 20 characters in the hall of fame. Connor and I will decide who makes the cut, who doesn't. It'll be more so Connor because I know he. this is like, you know, this is going to be really, really big for him. <laughs> it's going to be a big moment. But we've always wanted to do this up, you know, do this movie ever since it came out. It's one of those you know, maxim movies from the decade where it's just, it's got so much oozing out of it for conversation. And so we're going to kind of not focus at all on what happened after that. We're going to focus on that like golden run of 11 years. Yeah. We're tackling the infinity saga. Um, Avengers Endgame was an incredible experience and one of the most anticipated films of all time. Yeah. And it, it lived up. Like to the hype, which doesn't happen very often, and it, it peaked in a way that no Marvel project since has a, has been able to come close to, except Spider Man No Way Home. So that's because of what they were doing. Um, and I I believe Black Panther: Wakanda Forever is the the end of Phase Four. So Ant Man Three next year starts Phase Five, and apparently, as Feige said, Phase Four has been used to just introduce new players. To the MCU going forward, it wasn't supposed to have some overarching arc or be, you know, on par with the whole Infinity thing. So knowing that, I'm a little more at ease with the current MCU status. I thought they were sleepwalking. Turns out it was just like, you know, setting the board up for the game we're about to play. Yeah, and and like, come on, you know, like what they did, you know, Infinity War and Endgame are just like, oh my god, holy shit, movies, you know, like Jesus Christ. These, these are just billion dollar, huge, massive movies. And to, to like expect them to keep going at that rate and at that quality is, is insane. Yeah. They've upped the rate because of the TV shows. Like they put out more content and maybe it's not as good. But like you said, it looks like their end game, quite frankly, is like it, it like hasn't happened yet. They're going to oh, continue. No. They're going to continue to build towards something 
And this may happen over and over. It may happen where like peak, 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 and then drops a little bit and then raises back up. If every movie is Endgame, then nothing special. Like we got to build towards something incredible. And right now they're building towards the Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars. And that's going to make a lot more sense the closer we get to those films. Correct. Correct. So with that being said, I cannot wait. It's going to be really cool to like rewatch Endgame knowing that I have to pick out awards for it because I just don't know where to go with that. You know, um, like there's so many great performances in that movie. So many cool characters getting like huge, massive moments. It's going to be a blast. And doing the Hall of Fame, the way I see it is what are the 20 most valuable, most important characters from that, you know, I think it's 21 or 22 movies. I don't fucking know. <laughs> from, 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 it's, a lot of, it's a lot of shit. <laughs> so I'm not going to sit here and rewatch all of them over the week. You know, that's not happening. I'm going to watch, I probably will watch Infinity War in any game. That's probably what I'll do. Uh, but I'm familiar with the, the material and you're very familiar with the material. And so we'll kind of go back and forth. I have, of course, my, my, the people I want to be in it, but I know you have, you have a much more uh, in-depth knowledge of like how many movies each person has appeared in and, and, and all that, all that kind of jazz. So it's going to be really cool. I'm excited to host that. I kind of let you just fucking just talk about stuff that you really cared about. Uh, something that from age 13 to age 24, like really affected you, you know, like that's, that's big stuff. We were just talking about like the finality of like doing a movie, like putting in the rear view. This is the definition of that. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. When secret wars comes out, we'll be in our early thirties. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Mar- Marvel has been the biggest um, thing in the movie industry for our pretty much all of our teenage years. And it's going to be for all of our 20s and going to our 30s. So, like, our entire adult life, you like can't not talk about this. So, it's going to be cool. I'm excited. I think it's going to be a cool way to. To uh, kind of shine, shine, shine a light on um, Black Panther because I'm sure you're seeing it as well on Thursday or Friday. Yep, got my Thursday evening tickets. A while so ago. we'll both have seen it before we record. So that'll be nice to be able to kind of like just talk about it for a bit, and then we'll go into the Hall of Fame and talk about Endgame. So it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be long, but it's gonna be really good. Yeah, I'm excited. This is a, a nice change of pace, out of the box movie for Oscar Sunday. It is. It is. It's nice to do these every once in a while. You, you, like when we did uh, the Pixar Hall of Fame, I was like, this is fun. People like this. <laughs> People like these movies. <laughs> you know, Tootsie's no. more of a, I feel like it's like our parents' generation. Like that's, it's, uh, like my dad was like, oh yeah, I like that movie, you know, because um, he was born in the early 60s. So like, makes sense. I liked, you know, I like going all over the map. I like doing movies where my grandparents are like, Oh, I love that. And I also love doing movies where my cousins are like, Oh, I love that. So it's nice to get a, you know, a big variety and just go all over the map. And I'm glad we can do that. Yeah. That's what we're all about. So yeah. In game next week. Don't miss that. The week after that, I picked one for me. Um, But what's great about it is also for you. You love that movie too. So we got a couple of bangers in a row coming up and I'm super Super stoked. So, Superhost on Filmgasm. 
Mars Needs Moms on Beyond the Bad in game on Oscar Sunday next week. Uh, keep following us on, on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, at Filmgasm. Keep checking out the website for reviews from Connor. And uh, Josh is back, so I'm sure he's going to have some stuff up there soon. Um, it's great to hear him on, on Filmgasm this past week for Terrifier. So, yeah, super, super excited to kind of have the team all here, you know, doing their, doing their, doing their thing and having fun with it. So love it, man. Um, Keep watching movies, everybody. And we'll see you on Wednesday.